Go to John 3, please. Gospel account of John. For some weeks now, we've been on this subject. We've gotten some good testimonies out of it already. You heard Phyllis mention a couple of them. Well, you know, the Lord said that he watches over his word to perform it. And uh, in Mark 16, when the Lord told the disciples to go and preach the word, it said he worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. So uh, if we don't just preach our opinions and our theories and experiences, if we'll really preach his word, then he will confirm it. Amen. Somebody will believe it and act on it. And when that happens, manifestations occur. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's exciting. John 3 and 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, um, you wouldn't think that a brass snake on a pole would be a type of Jesus. But it is. Because brass, they say, symbolizes hardness and judgment, and the serpent represented uh, sin and the effects of it. You might say, well, how in the world could a, a brass snake represent Jesus? The cross, it's a beloved place but it's not a pretty place. The cross was their equivalent in their day of a gas chamber or an electric chair. It was, you know, the form of execution for the worst criminals. And Jesus allowed them to take him and to mock and scourge him and crucify him but as he hung on the cross, he was made sin with our sin. He didn't just empathize with our condition. He became sin. That's why it's a snake on the pole. And judgment fell on him there instead of us. Can you say, thank you, Lord, for taking my place? Thank you, Lord, for taking my place. That's what happened. Uh, verse 15, that this happened that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe on Jesus? Do you believe that when he hung on the cross and did that, he paid the price for all your sins? Judgment fell on him and it won't fall on you. So you're not going to be judged for your sin. You're not going to hell. You're not going to be separated from God for eternity. You're not going to perish. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that you have been born from above, born again, and you now have eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I have right now. I have eternal life. Now, if you don't believe on him, you don't have eternal life. We went into some detail in the earlier parts of this series. There is massive deception throughout the planet of people believing 
that one religion is about as good as the other, and that really people just have myriad different ways of believing in and coming to the same one and only God. This is not true. If you believe the Bible, now you can believe whatever you want to, but if you believe the Bible, you can't believe that. Because the scripture said, if you don't receive the one that God the Father sent, if you don't receive the Son, it says you don't have the Father either. And Jesus said, if you don't believe I am the one, you will die in your sins. And so, no, everybody that dies does not go to heaven. It's just not true. And one religion is not as good as the other. If you believe the Bible, you can't believe all that. Keep reading. He said you receive eternal life, has eternal life, I should say. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, he says it again, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, uh, eternal life or living forever is something that mankind has fantasized about, dreamed about, tried to search out some kind. I mean, I guess, who was it? Ponce de Leon, who one of the first Europeans that came to Florida. He was looking for the fountain of youth. Is that right? <laughs> and apparently he didn't find it because he died too. <laughs> but uh, even today, people's faith is less in spiritual things and in science as a generation. And so you'll hear all this uh, conjecture about, you know, that uh, this has been going on for decades, that people who were wealthy enough started freezing their heads and freezing their bodies or their brains so that maybe later on that science would catch up and they'd be able to bring them back to life that ain't never going to happen. <laughs> now, in our digital age, there's all this science fiction fantasy that maybe one's consciousness could be digitized. Oh, yeah. And, and downloaded, you know, on a mainframe. And maybe your consciousness put into some kind of synthetic body. That, can, that also ain't never Gonna have, I know it's bad English, but I'm trying to be dramatic. It ain't never going to happen. Why? Because your consciousness is not material. The spirit is not material. So you cannot fix a, a spiritual thing with a material thing. They're two different dimensions. It cannot happen. It never will happen. And many have not understood what death is. Death is not ceasing to exist. Whether you're talking about physical death or spiritual death, neither one is a ceasing to exist. Death is separation. It's important to know this. Death is separation. You know, one thing we need to understand about these bodies, this body is not me. This body is the house I live in. 
you, you will see people, and, and I don't mean to sound uncaring, but it, it's not enlightened to go out to the graveside and try to talk to people. You see people do that. Well, that would be like uh, right now, I'm not at my house. I'm here in church with you. And you going to my house and trying to talk to me <laughs> would be unenlightened. There's no way I can hear you. I'm not there. You're talking to an empty house. When someone has died, they have left their body. And talking to that body is talking to an empty house. They're not, come on, can you see this? They're not there. And we don't need to refer to the body as them. Well, where did you bury them? You didn't bury them anywhere. <laughs> you put their body, their house that they left, you put it somewhere. But uh, nobody's going to bury you. They'll take this shell that you left and they'll bury it, but you will be somewhere else. You will have departed to be with Christ, which is far better. Woo! Better would have been good. Far better than being here and you will be with the Lord and you will be with him Eon after eon after eon, age without end. Everlasting life. Not just everlasting existence. Everlasting zoe. Life as God himself has it. Man, if you can't get excited about this, you, you don't understand it. When you begin to get a, get a taste of what this really is, it helps you to relax. Because you're always going to be around. <laughs> and it helps you to not be frantic or fearful of missing out on something. If you miss out on a few little things in this little short material life, you won't even care later on. Your good stuff is over there. And to say your best days are ahead of you, that's an understatement. That your best days are ahead of you, your best eons are ahead of you. Woo! The Bible said throughout the ages to come, he's going to reveal to us the exceeding riches of his grace. Now, what is that? What does that encompass? It's going to be amazing. Well, there's no need for us to think, just to think only about that because we have to finish this life. And one of our biggest jobs is to be ready to leave this life ourselves and to help other people to get ready. Other things are important. You know, healing's important. Getting your needs met are important. Having peace, having a good marriage, having a good family. I mean, that's all important, but not as important as this. If you're not ready to die, what has a man or a woman done if you gain the whole world and lose your soul and lose yourself? Life is very, very brief, very short. It's like a mist. It's like a vapor 
the scripture says. And this world is a dangerous place. It's full of the curse and crazy people. You know it? It's a, it's a violent, diseased, cursed, dangerous, dangerous place. And you need to be ready to leave here at any moment. Is everybody awake? You are not going to live down here like you're doing forever. How many know that? The Lord tears is coming that much longer, you're going to die. Well, I don't like to think about it. Well, then that means you're not ready. And that's serious to not be ready. One of the most important things, uh, I shouldn't say one, the most important thing we can talk about is are you ready to go? And everybody around you, are you ready to go? What does that mean? Have you believed on Jesus? Have you received him as your Lord and Master? Have you received eternal life? If you have, your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're ready to go. Even if you don't get everything else right, you got the main thing right. You're ready to go. If you don't have that right, nothing else you did will make much difference. You won't go to the right place. I know a lot of folks don't like that, but it's the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? He said, verse 36, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's not politically correct, but it's true. You can believe anything you choose to. It doesn't have to be true what you believe. But the truth will make you free. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Go with me to John, please. The sixth chapter. There's so much that could be said about this. And um, we've already covered a lot of ground. If you haven't been with us, then um, go online. And go back and listen to or watch the previous messages. won't cost you anything. I believe it will help you. John 6, 26 is where we'll start with this. I want to just kind of fill in what happened up to this point. In the beginning of the 6th chapter, Jesus' ministry was becoming more and more known and popular, particularly because of all the people that were getting healed and delivered. The Bible said his fame spread abroad, especially because of that. And so at this point, thousands of people were following him around. Day to day, wherever he would go, they'd follow him. And we're talking about, um, you know, crowds of 20,000, 40,000, 50,000 people. And uh, he, uh, on this occasion, in the first part of this chapter, they were out on this hillside, and they got all these people there, and they'd been with him a long time, listening to him preach and teach. And uh, he told the disciples, he said, these people are going to get hungry. Where are we going to get food for them? And that's when they said, well, man, you know, scores of thousands of dollars wouldn't, uh, wouldn't feed this bunch. And he said, well, what do you have? And 
One said, we got a little boy's lunch, you know, five loaves and two fish, but what's that? He said, bring it here. How many know the Lord can do a lot with a little? He could, ooh, bring it here. And so he lifted it up and gave thanks for it and blessed it. And then he gave it to the disciples and they gave it to the people. And that's where the miracle of the multiplying of the loaves and fishes occurred. And the Bible said, what was it? 5,000 men plus women and children. So you probably got at least, you know, 15,000 people out there. They all ate and had their fill. And then he said, gather up the fragments. This shows the miracle. Twelve baskets left over from a little boy's lunch. How did this happen? Well, this was not something that was hidden. The whole crowd saw this miracle take place. Whether they understood it or not, they knew there was no food out there. They saw him lift up this little boy's lunch. They saw him start passing it out. They saw they were, the crowd was aware of the miracle that happened. And they were astonished and they were intrigued. And so all the more they followed him. They wanted to stay where he was. They wanted to see this again. And in verse 26, uh, he had crossed the, uh, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, which is not a giant body of water, but it's a, we might call it a big lake. And uh, Jesus, you know, had walked on the water. And they, they couldn't figure out how he got over there. <laughs> and so when it dawned on them that he is over there, they all got little boats and stuff, and they followed him over. And so this giant crowd shows up on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Most people are pretty carnal. <laughs> they they uh, are highly motivated by their natural appetites. And so he said, uh, the big reason you're here is because you got free food. <laughs> and the implication is they're wondering, can he just keep doing this? And, and maybe we won't even have to work anymore. <laughs> if we can just find somebody's lunch, <laughs> we can just get a little handful of food, maybe he'll do this again. <laughs> and again. Verse 27. Labor, we'd say work not. Don't work for the meat. We'd say food. Don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. He talks about two different kinds of food. Natural food and a spiritual food. And the rest of this chapter, he's talking about this. Don't work for the food which perishes. Now we, we know we need groceries. But just like we've been talking we are more than a body. We should not just live to take care of the body. That's a shallow life and it's a soon going to be over anyway. There's more to us than a brain and a body. We're spirit. 
We're soul. We have understanding. There's a spiritual part of us. And that spirit part of us needs to be fed food, just like the natural part of us needs to be fed food. Say it out loud, natural food, spiritual food. This is one of the big reasons we're supposed to come to church, to get fed. It's one of the big reasons you're to read your chapter every day, to get fed. What's getting fed? My spirit. My spirit. Just as real. Now this is not imaginary. This is not just a, a, a mental concept. Just as real as natural food going in your mouth and going into your digestive system and giving new nutrition and strength. Spiritual food goes into your ears and into your being. And you digest it. And it gives you spiritual strength. It gives you faith. Faith comes by hearing. And that's how you eat spiritually. Is you eat with your ears. I know it sounds strange. But the book of Job actually talks about this. Uh, He said the ear tries words like the palate or the tongue tries food. You can actually taste spiritual words with your ear. Your ear can discern good and bad spiritual flavor. And especially as you develop and as you grow, the New Testament talks about having your senses exercised to discern between good and evil. The more full of the word you are, And the more you know God and you grow up a little bit and are not just an infant, not just a spiritual baby, you'll detect things and go, oh, that's not right. Even if people are quoting scripture, you'll go, that's a wrong spirit. I taste something bad there. (laughs) Ooh, yuck. That's got a bad, that's got a spoiled taste to it. This is real. This is not imaginary. We need to develop in this. So that you know when you're tasting something good spiritually and you know when you're tasting something bad, even poisonous spiritually. And so you quit listening to it. There's a lot of stuff in the guise of uh, Christian teaching and books and this and that. But it's got poison mixed in with it. There's some bad stuff in there. That's how the the enemy is very subtle and crafty. He knows a, a good Christian doesn't want to read a book that uh, comes from uh, devil publishing <laughs> or hell publishing. He, he knows that. He's going to try to pass it off as a Christian something. He's going to quote some scriptures. Did he quote scriptures to Jesus? He did. Let's keep reading this. He said, don't work for the food that perishes, but For the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for him has God the Father sealed. And so then they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? They said, okay, well, don't just work for the natural food. They were already in agreement with that. They're like, sure, we will quit working. We we will just follow you around and eat free food. But what work will we do? 
How do you work the works of God? And he said, verse 29, this is the work of God. This is a big statement. That you what? Believe on him whom he has sent. Believing is not a small thing. Believing is not a side thing. Believing is the thing. It's the big thing. It's whether you're saved or lost. It's whether you go to heaven or hell. It's the big thing. Keep reading. He said, uh, so then they say, well, what sign do you show that we may see and believe you? Well, they didn't hear him. He didn't say see and believe. He said believe. Seeing is not believing. Show me and I'll believe is a choice to doubt. You have chosen not to believe. Seeing is not believing. Believing is a choice. So they said, well, show us a sign so that we can see and believe. What do you work? And see, they're just trying to be clever. They're still trying to get him to produce food. So that's what he told them when they all showed up. He said, you're not here. <laughs> because of the miracles, or even because of, I'm paraphrasing, because of some big spiritual reason, you're here because you got full. You, got, you ate the food. And so uh, they said, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And one of the reasons this is recorded is because the manna that came out of heaven is a type of Jesus. The bread from heaven is a type of Jesus. Hallelujah. Who came from heaven. Bread has always been considered a staple. I don't know what happened. Well, I I do. The uh, modified grains. People have developed gluten allergies and all this other kind of stuff. But for thousands of years, people made it just fine with bread. (laughs) And bread is, you know, used just as a symbol of that which sustains the natural body and gives you physical strength, food that gives you strength. Well, this portrays Jesus as what we need to survive. And it is bread, not from the local bakery, but bread from above. Bread from heaven. Woo! In fact, if you read the Psalms and other places, the manna was called angel's food. Or it was also called bread of the mighty talking about from above. The manna is supernatural. It just showed up on the dew. So it came down from above with the dew. And the Bible said it was it was like a certain kind of seed and when you ground it up it was like fresh oil. You ever heard that phrase before <laughs> fresh oil? Types of the Spirit are all through this. And so they're saying, well, now you know. See, they're still trying to get free food. 
They said, now you know, God gave uh, Moses and the people manna, and it fell every day for 40 years. So now, let's do it again. Right? Let's, let's, let's get you a lunch here and there, whatever you need, and let's have free food for everybody, every day, for 40 years, whatever. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Jesus said, no, verily, verily, I say to you, Moses didn't give you that bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. That manna was a type. It was supernatural, but he goes on to say, they ate that bread and then they died. This is something else. This is what that was a type of. Somebody say, the true bread from heaven. Keep reading verse 33. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. We're used to it, but it is miraculous how that we eat food and our body is able to extract the nutrition and, and all the things that we need and it is able to be turned into force. Life force in our organs and our muscles are able to have force and power and do work from something we took off a plate and put in our mouth. We're used to it, but it's miraculous. It's amazing what is in these, uh, these foods that will help us to do this physically. Well, all of that's a type. All of this is on its way out and fading but it's a type of something that cannot fade. He said the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Keep going. Then they said, well, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. <laughs> Still thinking naturally. They're like, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Give us this bread. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, you're looking at it. <laughs> I don't need to give you something. I am. This is one of those great I am statements. Whew. It's reminiscent all the way back to the burning bush. You know, when Moses said, who will I say sent me? He said, you tell them I am. I am the bread of life. Woo, somebody say he is. He is. Not was. Not used to be. Not will be one day. He is. And tomorrow he is. And forever he is. He is. The bread of life. He that comes to me. Shall never hunger. He that believes on me. Shall never hunger thirst. Now you know uh, naturally speaking you know you'll eat and then you'll get hungry again. You'll drink and you'll get thirsty again. But he's talking about something greater than this. 
He's talking about spiritually. Because you get hungry spiritually just like you get hungry naturally. Most folks don't know. They don't realize what's going on. And trying to satisfy that spiritual hunger and thirst is what has resulted in many pursuing addictions, excesses. They're trying to fill a hunger. They're trying to fill, and you'll see people that gravitate and try all kinds of occult things and false spiritual things. Why? Because they're hungry for something spiritual. They're not just hungry, they're starving for a spiritual meal. And they're starving for a spiritual drink. And so they'll try all kind of bizarre stuff that only confuses them and hurts them in the end. Because there is only one. True. Bread of life. Come on, tell me his name, somebody. Jesus. Hallelujah. There's only one. Only one. True bread of life. The drink that satisfies and quenches your thirst so that you never get thirsty again. (laughs) The bread that satisfies your hunger so that you never get hungry again. And when we say never, we're talking about (laughs) ever, ever. I'm reading the Bible. Is this true? Keep reading. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. You know, was it Coke that uh, popularized being the real thing? Well, this is the real thing. He's the real thing. And once you've had the real thing, nothing else compares. Nothing else will satisfy. He said, uh, I said to you, you have seen me. And you don't believe. See, they're still looking for something else. The Bible said he came to his own. And his own received him not. And sadly, there are many uh, Jewish people. They're still looking for something else. And there are people of all ilks still looking for something else. But he is the one. He said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise Cast out. Reading this and looking at this again, it came clearer to me how blessed we are to have an awareness and knowledge that we needed Jesus and to come to Him. The Father gave it to us to be able to come to Him. Do you see this? He said, You didn't just choose me, I chose you. He chose us to enable us to choose him. And there are many, many who their complete rejection of him and no desire to hear him is evidence of them not being saved ones. It's evidence of some very alarming things. He said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. There's so many things here we could see here, but if I start preaching on every verse, I'm going to need some more time. Well, 
I need to read verse 40. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you believe on him, child of God? Verse 44, he said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. I will raise him up. At the last day. He said it again. Say it out loud. He will raise me up. At the last day. Verse 47. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Now he has said this already three or four times in that third chapter. And he said it multiple times here. Why? It is so important. It is the big thing. Do you believe on him? And if people say, well, I don't know about all that. You're in trouble. This is serious. This is the one thing you must not get wrong. The other things, okay. We're not going to fuss with you about. But this, this is not optional. To die not believing on him is to die lost. Is to wind up experiencing not just physical separation, but spiritual separation from God, which is the second death. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. Not dying physically. But he that believes on him, not just is going to get, has everlasting life. Verse 48, he says it again. I am that bread of life. Agree with him, child of God. Say, he is. You are the bread of life. He said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Now, when he said this, he lost the crowd. And you'll see before the chapter's over, thousands of people who were following him around stopped. They stopped following him around, and you might say in today's terminology, they told the office, take my name off of the mail list, or off the church roll, whatever, they stopped supporting him. They stopped going to his meetings. What a big deal. Why? And you'll find that the spirit of Antichrist that's mentioned in 1 John, what does it deny? What's the one thing he mentioned? That the spirit of Antichrist denies that Jesus is come in the flesh. This is huge point, bigger than we know. And he kept saying, uh, let me just read some more of it. Verse 52, the Jews strove among themselves. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now see, they're thinking completely naturally. I want you to see how fickle unbelieving man is. They started out the morning 
thinking Jesus was the greatest thing they'd ever heard about. Free food for everybody. And here, I don't know, the day's what, two-thirds over or whatever? And they are completely losing confidence in him. They're like, this is crazy. What's he talking about? Cannibalism? What's he talking about? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus didn't make it any better. <laughs> he didn't say, whoa, 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 now you're misunderstanding me. No, you, you're not understanding. Let, let me explain it to you. No, he made it worse. He said, verily, verily, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, real food, and my blood is drink indeed, real drink. He keeps saying it. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Well, every time he said it, eats my flesh, drinks my blood, they're going, ooh, ooh. And he just kept saying it. He kept saying it. Why? We're not supposed to try to appease everybody's intellectual unbelief. Faith is a choice. Are you with me now? You don't get to faith until you don't understand things. And you choose to believe anyway. This is a test of whether they really believe or not. And it's being revealed that they don't. They're just on the popular bandwagon of free food and miracle. And when it came to actually having to make a choice about believing something they didn't understand, they wouldn't do it. He said, verse 58, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eats of this bread shall live forever. Thank you, Lord. Keep going, verse 60. We're almost there. Many, not, not a few, many of his disciples. Now get the language. These were not just visitors. These people had called themselves a follower of his, a disciple. And not just a few of them, but many of them, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? In other words, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, he said, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? In one sense, he's making it worse. He's being led by the Spirit. What do you say? He's not trying to chase them and appease them, and explain everything to them. Why? Because you got to choose to believe when you don't understand. He said, well, what if, what if you see something else that you wouldn't understand? And here he explains what he was talking about. They didn't hear it, but he explained it. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words, everybody say the words. Come on, say it out loud again. The words, the words, 
Say it again. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. When Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh, you have no life in you. How did Jesus get flesh? Come on, think about it. He didn't have an earthly father. How did he get flesh? The angel brought a word from heaven. Is that right? Words from heaven to Mary. She believed it. She received it and said, be it unto me according to your according to your word. And according to John 1, the word became flesh. Woo, come on, can you see this? The word. So if you're eating his flesh, what are you eating? The word. And we know that the life is in the blood. Right? So when you're drinking the blood, you're drinking life. When you're eating the flesh, you're eating the word. Hallelujah. Which is the bread that came down from heaven. And in this bread and in this blood and life is eternal life and strength. Not just natural, but eternal. Listen to Deuteronomy 8. Don't turn there, but Deuteronomy 8, 3 says, He fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone or only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. That was the big lesson in God giving manna to his people is that they would learn this great truth that it wasn't just the natural provision that you needed but the thing that you need more than anything else is every word that comes out of the mouth of God because the food that exists on the planet came from God speaking the earth and everything in it into existence words are the true bread the word of God is the true bread The bread that came down from heaven. Matthew 4, Jesus quoted this, you know. He's quoting that passage in Deuteronomy 8. When the enemy tempted him to turn the stones into bread. He was hungry. Could it be done? All things are possible to him that believes. Could you get a hot loaf of bread out of a rock? Well, the rock and the bread and the wheat and the soil came from the same source. From a faith-filled, creative, spoken word. When you believe that, everything else becomes understandable. And he wouldn't do it though. Because he's acknowledging there's something more important than my groceries. Than my rent being paid. Than, you know, kids getting shoes. There's something more important. What is it? Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That is what I should base my life on. Every day I need to hear from heaven. I need fresh manna. Is that right? 
every day and it'll come down and if we'll read our chapter and if we'll feed on where we're supposed to feed and we'll be in the services and meeting we're supposed to be in, the Spirit of God will quicken something that God said to us in every situation, every time, every place, every occasion. You'll be hungry to know what to do. You'll be thirsty and that word will come and it'll satisfy you. Hallelujah. You'll know what to do. And strength will come up in you. Strength that natural food could never give you. But the bread of heaven gives you. That lasts forever. Oh somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. And in Revelation 2. I want you to hear. Get get a little peek of the future. Of what's also available. Revelation 2.17. He says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes. Are you an overcomer? To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna. God has a stash. God has a secret stash of special manna. Woo! And if you trust him and follow him and are an overcomer, he's going to share it with you. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. And I'm going to give him a white stone. This is jewelry. And in the stone, a new name written. A secret name. Hallelujah. Special name. God is going to let you in on his secret special stash. Do you believe this will be some good stuff, this hidden manna? What, you know, if you eat one of these manna cakes or, or whatever it is, do, do you think that your eyes will light up and you'll go, oh, never tasted anything like this in my life. And it won't just be something that'll sit in your stomach for a little while. It'll be something that goes through you and stays in you and stays with you. We'll get to eat of the tree of life. We'll get to eat of the fruit that's on the trees by the river of life. We'll get to drink, hallelujah, of the waters of life. We'll get to eat of hidden manna. We'll get to personally fellowship with the Father, with the Master, with the Spirit, with the patriarchs that have gone on before. Living, this is not just existing. This is living, hallelujah, eating life, Drinking life, breathing life, experiencing Zoe, everlasting life as God Himself has it. Can you say, I believe it? Amen. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.